Empowered people make informed decisions that lead to living a life without regret. This is Sarah Kaki and Shauna Woods from Atlanta Divorce Law Group, and this is the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. I'm Sarah Kaki with Atlanta Divorce Law Group, and I'm joined by our managing partner, Shauna Woods. Shauna, our title today gives me a chuckle because it seems sort of repetitive, but the title is Manipulative Teenagers. Yeah, it does seem like we're just talking about the same thing over here. Right, right. This comes up for us in our family law practice, mainly... I'm going to give us some legal background here and you can help me out. But in Georgia, we have something called an affidavit to elect where a child at the age of 14 can basically sign an affidavit choosing which parent they want to live with. That's kind of right. Yes. They have lessened that over time. And I just want to real quick give a little bit of the history of how it does continue to be. Evolved. Weakened. Yes. The the power of the affidavit. When I first started practicing law, if a minor child at the age of 14 signed an affidavit that said, I want to live with mom or I want to live with dad, you had to prove that that parent was unfit before they said, no, you can't live with mom or dad. And that was a super hard burden to prove somebody is unfit. And judges had to get really creative when they would look at it and say, even though this child is saying, I want to live with this person, this is really, really against their own interests. So that evolved into what we currently have, which it is presumed to be in the best interest of a child if they sign that affidavit. A presumption can be overcome by a weight of evidence. So... The older the child gets, though, mm-hmm. I think the more power that affidavit does have. The presumption becomes stronger. The presumption becomes stronger because think about it. 14 is such a young age to give that much power to a teenager. So when the lawmakers were making that law, it they used the same studies on child psychology as the ones they used for driver's license, yes. as the ones they used for, used for the drinking age and so forth. And it's really at what point has the brain developed enough to understand action, consequence, and really understand the con- like what are going to be the consequences of my actions, right? What effect will that have? And I think there's schools of thought on both sides of child psychology that some say, no, 14 is definitely not old enough. And some will say, no, we have studies of children in other countries at a younger age making more vital decisions. And I mean, some kind of states uh, at age of 14, there's jobs that children can take on. So there's a lot of child psychology that went behind this law. But the title of manipulative teenagers (laughs) explains partly why this law has loosened it this rule has loosened its teeth and it's becoming more and more of a presumption some and it's now becoming even more case by case judge by judge basis on how they want to even treat this affidavit and there's a large push among the family law attorneys to remove this affidavit completely I'm not of the mind that it needs to be removed completely. I'll be honest. I do think the age limit needs to be raised to at least 16. Because at 16, a child is driving. And typically, is going to be spending less time with their friends anyway. And it's going to end up at the parent's house they want to be at. Right. right? So I do think the age needs to be raised. 
because of these certain manipulations. And when, when we talk about these manipulations, yes, the parents may be manipulating a teenager to choose them over the other parent, but what we're focusing on today is how are these teenagers using this and other things to manipulate their parents, mm-hmm. right? And it's so much easier to do when you have bifurcated parenting. Absolutely. So one case that comes to mind is we have a single mom who is working as hard as she possibly can to meet ends meet to provide for her daughter her 14-year-old daughter, and for herself as a single mom. And dad is basically failing on child support and failing on supports financially taking care of and doing what he needs to do financially for his daughter. But every now and then, to win the good graces of his daughter and charm his daughter, and he gets her a pair of Jordans, he'll get her a nice bag, but nothing that actually goes directly to the mother to pay for rent, to pay for food, to pay for just basic life necessities, the daughter is smart enough. She sees this. She sees that the mother is financially struggling. She sees that mom's doing everything she can to provide the basic necessities for me. At the same time, she sees that dad is trying to charm me to get my attention, to get my love. Mm -hmm. And what is a teenager who wants to show up a certain way at school, keep up with the parents a certain way, and have be cool with their friends to do? Well, this particular teenager will use is using this conversation of I will sign an affidavit to go be with dad or to mom, or using it to tell dad maybe I'll sell, sign this to get more dad to give her more things. This is where the law starts falling apart because. It is emotionally unfair to put this on this child. Absolutely. It's not that the child is bad or the child is, the child's family has fallen apart. And this is sort of her survival mechanism. Now, some other children will have a different survival mechanism where they refuse to see dad. They don't want to have anything from dad. They cut off, they want to cut that relationship off and they go to mom and say, get him out of my life. Don't make me go there. I don't want to go there. That's one way. Another way is, a manipulative teenager is formed to use and, and learns about this rule and uses it to their advantage. And if you don't think your children know about this rule, you're wrong. <laughs> they all do. They all do. They talk about it amongst themselves at school, like everything else. I've been approached by people who said, my child told me about this rule. Yes. You know, so they're aware of it. And to your, to your point, Because a teenager is being manipulative, manipulative doesn't always equal bad or this is, you know, that's where they're headed. It is a definitely behavior that you're going to have to correct. Right. But they are doing what they feel they need to, to survive in a situation where they're not having the tools to understand how to survive. Absolutely. So the best thing that you can do when a teenager is being manipulative, and let me tell you folks, each one of them is going to be manipulative somewhat. That's the nature of growing up mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to navigate this world, right? If I tell dad, I don't like mom and he buys me a purse. Well, next time I want a purse, what do I need to right. do? That's being taught to them, right? So it is behavior that needs to be corrected, but it's also behavior that's really good to send a child to therapy for. Right. And again, my favorite word, boundaries. 
and draw very strong boundaries around them and say, I understand what you're telling me. I can't control what decision you choose to make, but here is what's going to happen in my household, right? Buy me a car. I'll choose to go live with dad. Well, I'm not going to buy you a car. If you choose to live with dad and the law allows you to do so, that's your choice, but I am not going to buy you a car. And that is putting yourself in charge by being willing to give up control. Yes. Because parents are so, have such a hard time, myself included, of giving up control over our children. And when you can give up the control of how you want your child to feel about you, how you want them to feel about the other parent, you can actually take charge and be an adult. But when you're still very much attached and trying to force an emotional response out of the child that works with your sense of control, you get a manipulative child. And what do manipulative child children turn into? Control freaks? Narcissists. Narcissists, yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you want to work out is how do I want my child to grow into adulthood? Yes. Right? Do I want them to see this manipulation as the behavior to accomplish their goals in life? Or do we want this to see as a, if you choose to do that, that's your choice, mm-hmm. but you cannot control me. Exactly. Exactly. That's truly what leadership's about is when you provide all the tools, but you also hold them accountable. And whether you're liked or disliked for it, you give up your own need as a parent to be appreciated, to be validated, to be loved, and feel safe and secure. You give that up to receive that from your child instead you give it in return by some tough love. And you have to remember, I think the theme of this is you are the adult. Yes. And what is the intention of having your children if not to raise them into happy, healthy adults? Right. We're, we don't have children, or at least we shouldn't have children, to feed our own emotional needs. So let's talk through some of these cases because you're right. And they, all these kids know about it. And usually we get the phone call from the parent that says, my child turned 14 and came to me and said, I, I don't want to go to mom anymore. I don't want to go to dad anymore. Can I move in with you? And they, they said they'll sign something. They'll agree to something. And, and again, to reiterate why this rule has lost so much teeth is because there is something icky to the judges about dad taking 14-year-old daughter's hand over to an attorney's office and having that child sign a legal document that verbally and by actual statement literally states i no longer want to live with my mom right and so let me be very clear because i do think a lot of people get this wrong a child cannot elect to not visit right with the visitation is different it's actually living with them yes they can choose who they want to primarily live with, but the law does not say that they don't have to go over and spend parenting time. And I think there that's a mis- that's a huge mis- misconception because I do get definitely the, the clients that say she doesn't want to go over there anymore and she's 14 years old. Right. And then we have to educate them. No, 14 doesn't mean you get to terminate the other parent's rights. Right. 14 means, to Shauna's point, you get the, a presumption of 
okay, it's in her best interest that she wants to live in that household versus the other one. The first thing I do when I when someone comes to me with these questions is I ask, is your child in therapy? Mm-hmm. If your child is not in therapy, they need to be in therapy. Because I need to hear this, and the court needs to hear this from a neutral third person that says... This child understands they are making an informed decision, and we also feel it's in their best interest to live primarily with mom or dad, right? Mm-hmm. We need neutral parties involved. And most of the time, uh, I wouldn't say most of the time, a lot of the time, when, a, especially a 14-year-old, brand new, you know, just turned 14 today, is wanting to make an election, a court's probably going to appoint a guardian ad litem anyway, to do an investigation, not only to talk with the child, but to talk with their parents, maybe go do home inspections, talk to a therapist, their teachers. They want an adult voice in the room that's not one of the parents talking about, does this, does, do they have the emotional maturity, right, to make these decisions? Because sometimes you have extremely emotionally mature mm-hmm. 14-year-olds. I think both of us we were yes. very mature at that age. And sometimes you don't. So a lot of times you're seeing a court saying, okay, we see your election, but we're going to do some more investigations, right? The other thing is do not bring a 14-year-old into our office. Absolutely, hands down, not. I'm not going to have your 14-year-old sign an election in our office. In fact, if it's if a child is adamant and we see that, yes, we see this are for adequate and good reasons we're making these decisions, I'm actually going to have that child sent over to another attorney's office for them to meet separately right? so that they feel like, oh, I have my own attorney. Well, it also sets this up for the judge to feel, quote-unquote, less icky about it. Yes. It doesn't smell like something manipulative has happened to this child. Right. That the child was taken, was given consideration, proper measures were taken to protect the child from any undue influence. And I will tell you, I learned that lesson the hard way. Prior from that I worked with, there was another attorney representing a, I think it was a mom, and, and the daughter wanted to sign an election. And they had the daughter meet with me, even though I wasn't the attorney, but it was within the same firm. And the reason they had her meet with me is because I've been trained as a guardian at Lytham. Mm-hmm. And I met with this child, and I said, you know, Tell me why you want to do this. Do you want to do this? Why do you want to do this? What words would you like me to use on this affidavit? And and she changed the words. She said, I don't like that word. I want to use this word. And I said, okay. We changed this talking about three times before she signed it. And then later, I was accused of intimidating the child Mm -hmm. to sign this affidavit. I know what my experience was in this room. I could see what I thought that child's experience was in the room, but I can't tell you what the child's experience actually was. Wow. Right? I still to this day don't know if there was an actual intimidation or if that was just the allegation the other side had to make. Yeah. But I wanted to remove myself completely from that situation in the future, both for that child and for the argument on the other side. Right. So it's a combination of the two. So, you know, practicing as long as I do or as long as I have, obviously the experience comes with some of the mistakes and knowing what not to do. You know, when you're telling that story, what I kind of visualize is parents who have young, younger children. They're under the age of 10, haven't hit the teenager years yet. They build this parenting plan. They get divorced. 
And I, I would tell them, advise them that when the kids turn teenagers is when modifications become sticky. And that's because now you had, basically you went from having children to semi-adults being yeah. in this co-parenting relationship with you. Before it was just you and your ex-spouse co-parenting. Now you almost have these semi-adults who are have their own narratives, yeah. who are growing some teeth but don't yet know what to do with their teeth, right? It's almost like a puppy that bites and it doesn't even know it, it can hurt other people. They're not fully yet understanding the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their words and the impact they can have on their younger siblings and mom and dad when they speak and do these things. And again, you are the adult that has to take charge and have some leadership here. Yes. And one thing I usually ask a parent when they bring to me a for to tell me that there's a you know my 14 year old she just turned 14 for her birthday and it's very common because for her birthday or for his birthday he asked that i would modify or yes. asked that i would you know come to you guys and have an affidavit for him and one of the big questions i asked the, cl the client because ego is a big thing and it's insidious and you're not aware of it i asked him how did that make you feel and I think mm. we have to, as parents, check ourselves when our child, and for, you're going through, you're in a divorce or you've been divorced and you have a teenage child comes to you and says, my God, mom, dad, I love you so much. I, I'm, I'm at peace here. I feel better here. I don't like being at the other home. How does that make you feel? If you take that with a heavy heart and you feel something heavy for your child and you are, are more curious to learn about what's going on, you may have, be having a healthy emotional response to this that is objective for you to help your child navigate this, but check yourself if it's validating something inside of you of feeling more appreciated, feeling more loved, feeling more right than the other parent. And that's when I think you have to check your objectivity on what you're hearing from your child. Does it make you right or bad or good? It's just you're human and you're having a human response from somebody, hearing something from somebody you love very much and you want to be loved and appreciated and favored by them. And I think you hit on something that's really important when we talk about manipulation as well. Because manipulation isn't always to get something that you want, right? In a way, for instance, in that scenario that you're talking about where the, if a person's ego, yes, of course, you see things my way. You see, mm -hmm. the, you see how the other person was. Obviously, you want to live with me. Obviously, you're more like me. It could be manipulation in the way that child is seeing that you're hurt. Right. And they want to give you validation. Wow. Right? They yes. want to feed into... I'm the rescuer of my mom. I'm the rescuer of my dad. Back to that triangle. Wow, Shana, absolutely. absolutely. Um, if you are still playing the victim mm -hmm. and your child is coming into an age where they're like, I can be the rescuer. Yes. You have to be very, very careful because that is also manipulative. It is manipulative. Rescuer is just as manipulative because a rescuer needs a victim. Yes. And yes, children absolutely worry about their parents of and they want to take care of their parents. And, you know, I've openly talked about when I was a teenager, my dad was going through depression and 
I took it upon myself that I have to be his rescuer, right? And I can definitely relate to what you're describing. So it might not even be trying to get the pair of Air Jordans from dad. It might be, I have to save dad. And if that means I have to leave mom to go make dad feel good about himself, because mom's the strong one. Mom's okay. Right. Dad's the one that needs me. It may put the child in that position. Which is bring us full circle to you need to be the adult in this situation uh-huh. and allow your child to be the child, which includes discipline and boundaries. I will finish off with this as well. Children may not always be coming at us, especially teenagers, with a manipulative intention. It might be the meanings we attach to what they're asking or seeking that makes it manipulative for us. So what do I mean by that? Parents who are divorced might naturally have a sense of guilt about things for their children. They may always feel like they have to overcompensate something for their child. So when their child comes to them and asks for something or says something's wrong somewhere else, you might just have a teenager that's having a teenage experience. Yes. It may not have anything to do with the fact that your child is a child of a divorce, but you have so much guilt and pain over putting your child through a divorce that anything you hear coming out of your child as a need or pain or a struggle or a challenge, you give it the meaning of this is because of the divorce. This is because of what's going on in the other house. This is what's because of something I'm not able to provide because I'm not getting enough child support. You attach these meanings to it. It then turns it into a manipulative situation that it may just be a teenager having a teenage experience. Absolutely. And I want to remind parents of that who bring up a lot of pain that they feel their child, 14-year-old, 15-year-old is going through and they are taking on so much emotionally because they're saying, oh my God, my child is doing this or they're being manipulative, they're doing that. Don't blame this all on just the divorce. Teenagers, by design, for all the reasons Shauna explained, are learning their sources of power, learning their sources of influence, at times through manipulation, and that's just part of their learning journey. And it's also part of the growing up and the hormonal changes that they're going through. I think every parent who has raised teenagers will remember the 13-year-old who has the worst day ever. Ever. Every single day. nobody understands. Nobody understands. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we'll end it there. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Happily Ever After Divorce Podcast. If you'd like to learn more, go to atlantadivorcelawgroup.com forward slash resources. 